I want you to think for a moment about the worst living situation that you've experienced. Well, what I mean by that is think back to that house uh, or that apartment or whatever it may be uh, where it was just, it was a difficult place to live. And think for a moment, what was it about that place that made it so difficult? Uh, Was it too small? Was it badly designed, unable to meet the needs of your family? Was it old? Perhaps nothing in it really worked and you were constantly having to get things fixed and it cost lots of money to do that. Perhaps it was the roommates who were living there with you uh, that made it such a difficult living situation. Maybe the place was uh, infested. Maybe it was uh, prone to flooding. Maybe the commute was too far uh, to your workplace. Maybe uh, there was any number of difficult situations. Maybe when you think about the most difficult place where you lived, you actually think back to a period of homelessness or incarceration. Wherever it may be, whatever that looks like, just think about that place again for a minute. It may have been a long time ago and you may have to try to remember what it was like to live there. Maybe for some of us, we're thinking, well, I don't have to try to remember. That's where I am right now. Wherever that situation was, that difficult home or apartment or living situation, think back to what it was like to be there and imagine what it would have felt like to have someone come and offer to build you a new house, to move you out of that living situation, to move you into a maybe an amazing neighborhood to build you a house that would be perfect for your needs, that would uh, exceed your expectations, built with the highest possible quality and everything perhaps that you would be hoping for or wanting in a living situation. Now the reason I'm asking you to sort of think through that is this morning we want to use an analogy to understand the truths that Peter has for us as we look at his, as we look at God's word. So far in the book of First Peter, we've been doing introductions. And we've seen how Peter has introduced the most important characters. We started with an introduction of Peter. How God transformed him from being a stumbling block to being a solid rock. Last week, we were introduced to ourselves. How Peter addresses us as elect exiles. That we are chosen by God, yet alienated from the world. Well, this morning we want to be introduced to the most important character of all, and that is God. And we want to use this analogy of thinking about a living situation and being offered a new home and a new place to live as a way to understand what it is that Peter has to say to us about this God that we've gathered here this morning to worship and adore. So take your Bible, if you will, and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, it's page 980 in the Pew Bibles. 1 Peter chapter 1, page 980. And to set the context for what we're going to hear about God, we want to actually begin in verse 3 and part of verse 4. There Peter says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. In order to understand who God is, Peter begins his epistle by telling us what God has done. And although God has done lots and lots of things, the area in which Peter is focused is that God is above all our Savior. That He has rescued us, that He has brought life out of death, that He has given us an inheritance. Now when you think about the concept of salvation, it can be a difficult concept sometimes to wrap your mind around. It can be hard. Sometimes it can look like a theological word on a page. That's why I asked you to think about the idea of living in a very difficult situation, a hard-to-stay-in home or a, a difficult place or apartment to be in. To think about what it would be like if someone came along and offered you a brand new home, offered you a brand new living situation to move you out of where you are into something that's absolutely beyond your expectations. The reason we're thinking through that is, is that in many ways that's a way to think about salvation. That it is true that God is preparing for us an eternal dwelling, so much better than the place in which we live now. But God is also wanting to give us the blessings of life in the here and now and, and to begin to enjoy His presence and in many ways that feeling when you move out of that very difficult living situation. I can think back to a very small apartment uh, that we lived in in England when we moved to Michigan and got to stay in our first home. After all these years of living in an apartment to be in our first home, there was this, it felt like a new page of life. Or when we moved from that small starter house into the house that we live in now, it just felt like a, a breath of fresh air that suddenly there was more space for the kids and there was more room. And it was just, it was like starting a new page in life. Well, Peter is saying if we're going to understand who God is, we need to know that he is the God who saves us, that he helps us turn the page to start a new experience and a new existence. Well, with that in mind, Go back to verse 2 because this is where we're going to spend our time this morning. Because this is where Peter introduces us to who God is. It says in verse 2, Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now the way that Peter chooses to introduce us to the God who brings us this rescue is that he introduces us to a triune God. Now the word triune is the word that we use, it's from which we get the idea of the Trinity. Triune, yun meaning one, tri meaning three, yun emphasizing the fact that God is one that we worship and serve one God. But this one God eternally exists in three distinct persons. Father, Son or Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. 
And that these three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are one God. Which means that they are equal in power and in perfections. That all of the attributes that the Father has, the Son has. And all of the attributes that the Son has, the Spirit has. And the perfections that the Spirit has, the Son has. And the perfections that the Son has, the Father has. They are completely equal in every regard. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Not only are they equal in every regard, they are one because they are absolutely united in purpose. They work in complete harmony together. One God. Now oftentimes, the Bible will focus on the oneness of God. So for example, later on in Peter's epistle, he'll make the statement, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Well, when you hear the word God there, well, does that mean the Father opposes the proud? Or does that mean that Jesus opposes the proud? Or does that mean that the Holy Spirit opposes the proud? Well, yes, the answer is yes. The focus there is, is not so much on the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as distinct persons, but on the oneness of God. God opposes the proud. But Peter, when he chooses to introduce God here, is not focusing on the oneness of God. Instead, he is focusing on the fact that God exists in three distinct persons. That's why each one of them is mentioned here in the introduction. And you'll notice that each person is given a different role when it comes to salvation. The Father is the one who has chosen. The Spirit is the one who has done the sanctifying work. And Jesus Christ is the one whose blood we are sprinkled with. Now this is sort of deep stuff. So how do we explain what Peter's trying to say about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in regards to salvation? Well, here's where we want to use that analogy. So if you're thinking about the opportunity of living in a very difficult home or apartment or a difficult situation and the chance to move into a brand new house specifically built for you and for your needs... If you think about that, in order for that to happen, a couple of different people or roles will have to be filled. First, in order to have this new house, you're going to need an architect of some kind, a developer, a general contractor, a person who can kind of plan out what's this new house going to look like, Where's the, how's it going to be situated on the lot. How much is it going to cost? Who's going to organize all the work? You're going to need somebody or somebodies who can plan the whole thing, who can put this all together and figure out how it's all going to work itself out. What does the house need to look like? How many rooms? Where do they need to be located and situated? What materials are going to be used? That's the first person you're going to need, a person or multiple people to do that role, that role of architect, if you will. The second person or groups of people you're going to need are skilled tradesmen. 
Somebody's going to actually have to build the thing. All the plans in the world are fine, but they're not going to do anybody any good unless somebody actually swings a hammer and builds the house. You're going to need people who are going to hang the drywall, people who are going to landscape it. There's going to be people who are actually going to do the work. And then there is a third person or a third group of people that you're going to need. And this is the realtor, the moving company, the banker, that person or persons who are going to get you moved into the house. Because the greatest plans, which have been built into the most beautiful house, don't do anybody any good if you don't actually live in the thing. And there is that group of people who take that home that's been built and make it a reality for you. They get you moved in. They get the title in your name. They help you with the financing. They move all your stuff. That group of people. All of those things are necessary if you're going to get out of the current living situation that you're in and into this brand new, beautiful home. Well, in this analogy... What Peter is saying is God the Father plays the role of architect for salvation. Meaning he's planned the whole thing. He's chosen who's going to be able to participate. He has planned that salvation is going to come through the death of Jesus and his resurrection. God, is the, fa God the Father is the one who's got everything mapped out and planned out. He's the one who's determined the exact time and date in which Jesus Christ will return. He's the architect of the whole thing. Well, if God the Father is the architect, God the Son is the builder. He's the one that swings the hammer. He's the one that makes it happen. It's Jesus who becomes human. It's Jesus who trains disciples. It's Jesus who dies on a cross. It's Jesus who's raised from the dead. It's Jesus who's going to be present with us today when we celebrate communion. It's Jesus who will return again. He's the one who does the work. That's why Jesus says in the Gospel of John, Look, I'm here doing exactly what the Father has told me to do. Basically, the Father drew the blueprints. And Jesus is building the house exactly the way the Father determined it was supposed to be built. Well, in our analogy then, that leaves the Holy Spirit as the realtor. The Holy Spirit is the one who gets us moved into the house. He's the one who comes and convicts us that we need salvation. He's the one who helps us to believe. He's the one that enables us to obey. He's the one that teaches us to pray. He's the one that Jesus says, when I send him to you, he will teach you all things and lead you in the paths of truth. The Holy Spirit is the one who takes all this salvation stuff and makes it ours, gives it to us. And this is how Peter introduces our God to us. He says the God that we worship, the God who is saving us, the God who has given us salvation is a triune God. He is the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I think Peter's point in introducing God in this way, not focusing on the oneness of God, certainly Peter believes in that and we'll talk about that throughout his epistle.
But when he comes to introduce God, he focuses on God's threeness. His triune being. And I think the reason he's doing this is because Peter wants to emphasize that God is in control of salvation from beginning to end. Everything that you and I are going to need to get out of that terrible living situation, out of that cramped apartment, out of that infested place in which we live, into this new life, everything that we're going to need, God Himself is going to provide. God will provide the the drawings. God will provide the plans. God will be the one who builds the house. God will be the one who moves us into the house. You see, sometimes we think, Hey, look, as long as I have a great architect, I'll be fine. But you well know, if you have a great architect and a bad builder, it's not going to work out. And if you've got a great builder but a bad realtor, it's not going to work out. And if you've got a great realtor but your moving company breaks all your stuff, the whole experience is not going to be good. And Peter's saying, look, from start to finish, every single aspect of the planning and the execution and the application is controlled by God himself. It's not like God planned out how salvation was supposed to work and then gave it to governments or to the church or to humans and said, figure it out. It's not like God planned salvation and then accomplished salvation then turned it over to the church to say, try to give this to some people. Try to make this available to some people. It's that God is in charge of our salvation from beginning to end. There is no detail in the planning that will not work out in the execution because God himself is from beginning to end doing the whole thing. And as Peter is getting ready to take us on a journey in which we're going to explore our salvation, he wants us to know that the planning, the execution... And the application of all the spiritual blessings of God rests not in our hands, but in His. Now Peter's introduced us to the general categories. These are true throughout Scripture. The Father is normally portrayed as the planner. The Son is normally portrayed as the one who executes the plans. And the Spirit is normally portrayed as the one who applies them to us or empowers us to experience them. And Peter, throughout his epistle, we will see that he focuses or draws out some of those different aspects. But right here in verse number two, there is one specific aspect of salvation that Peter is emphasizing, that the Father has planned, the Son has executed, and the Spirit has given to us. And he's highlighted it, and so we want to mention it this morning before we leave this passage. The reason why I know it's highlighted is because the normal order of discussing our triune God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But in Peter's introduction, he's pulled the Son out of order and put Jesus last. And that's because he wants to emphasize the final phrase of this verse, sprinkled with his blood sprinkled with his blood. Now, this is strange language. It's strange even if you've been a Christian for a while. As Christians, we're used to hearing the phrase redeemed by his blood or justified by his blood. 
But here Peter doesn't choose that language. He uses instead sprinkled with his blood. Now what does this mean? Think back to our house analogy. If you were to have someone come along and offer to build you a brand new home, to move you out of the very difficult living situation into a fabulous experience, an amazing apartment, an amazing home in which you're going to be able to stay and live. If that's going to happen, even if somebody else is going to pay for the whole thing, you still got to sign the contract. You still got to sign the title. Otherwise, it's not your home. Otherwise, it's not your apartment to stay in. Your signature is still required even though somebody else is doing everything. Sprinkled by his blood is contract language. It's contract language that comes out of the Old Testament. Out of the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 24. And you know what? I just realized I don't think I gave you the PowerPoint slide for that. Exodus 24, I'll read it to you. If you want to look, it's page 64. Exodus 24, verse 8. It says, Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with these words. Now, a covenant is an Old Testament word for a contract. Essentially, God is making a contract with the people of Israel. And in order to sign the contract, they are sprinkled with blood. Blood is used to show the seriousness of the contract. This is a binding contract. Only death will break this contract sprinkled with his blood. Here's Peter's point. If you are here this morning and not yet a believer in Jesus, what God is saying to you, look, when we talk about a difficult living situation, a house that's not right for you, uh, being in an in a, in incarceration or, or, or a homeless person, when we talk about those things, that's a metaphor for God wanting to offer you a new life. A new life. Maybe it's not your house that's infested, but it's your life that's infested with sin. Maybe your life is too small. Maybe your life is constantly in need of repairs. And if you're here this morning and you're saying, my life just doesn't seem to be working. I live in a miserable neighborhood. I've got a difficult situation in my life. What God is offering to you is a new life. And when we say that God is architect, builder, and realtor, he's the architect, builder, and realtor of a new life. What he wants to offer you is to move you out of the life you currently have and into a life that is filled with the forgiveness of sins, the presence of God, peace, joy, meaningful relationships, God's presence in the midst of suffering and difficulty. But here's Peter's point. In order to have that new life, you've got to sign the contract. The life is already designed. It's already built. It's ready for you to move into, but you must 
sign the contract. That life has been designed by God's infinite wisdom. It's been brought into existence by God's infinite power. It is ready for you to inhabit through God's omnipresence. But you must sign the contract. It's not enough to tour somebody else's house. It's not enough to tour even what your own house might be like. Peter's point is, in order to have that new life, in order to experience that new life that God wants to give to you, you must be sprinkled with his blood. This is a reference to the fact that accepting Jesus' death as being for you. When you do that, you're signing the contract to say, I want this new life that God has designed, God has built, and God is going to move me into. And if you're here and you're a Christian, well, this language sprinkled with his blood brings us to the celebration of communion. Because what communion is, is a time to reflect on the life that we live in the living situation that we now have, this was designed by God, built by God, and we're experiencing it through God's power. Normally when we come to communion, we quote the passage from 1 Corinthians. But listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 26 when he talks about communion at the Last Supper. Then he took a cup And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. Now look at this phrase. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. This is Jesus saying, my blood is what this contract is signed in. And as Christians, when we come to the Lord's table and we partake of the bread and the cup, it's a reminder that this new life, this eternal life, this life that is with God forever, this life that includes an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, that we signed that contract on the day we accepted that Jesus' blood And his death was our death. And this morning as we come to communion, we have an opportunity to look at this new life that God is giving to us and this new eternal life that God has promised to us and be reminded that it's God's doing from beginning to end. God has planned it. God has built it. God is moving us into it. And it's through God's own blood that we have signed this unbreakable contract.